Amen. What's going on, Mosaic? How you doing? Do you know this one? God is good. Okay. And all the time? All right. It is really good to be with you. Uh, I am Pastor Eric, and uh, my wife, Lori, and I used to go here to uh, what was called El Faro Worship Center. I think it was called El Faro Worship Center, and uh, that was 17 years ago. I'm getting old. That's when you know, 17, almost 20 years ago, um, and at the time, we had two kids. Now we have four, and uh, and. Uh, we loved this place. Back then, Pastor John uh, Sedimenio was the pastor here. And I've, uh, this, uh, I've, I've seen some old friends here in the room that were here when I was here and also way before I got here. So uh, Mosaic has deep roots and strong pillars. And, um, and this is a blessed house. I am uh, I'm, I'm here because Pastor Jack is on sabbatical. And how many love Pastor Jack and Sister Brenda? You love, you love your pastors? <clears throat> They're great people. And I just want to honor you for encouraging him to go on sabbatical. I've been pastoring our church for 17 years. When we left here, we went to pastor a church in a little town called Lathrop, which is uh, near, not too far from Tracy in Stockton. Um, and uh, I got a sabbatical at the seven-year mark, and I'm, uh, it, was, it did me and my family wonders, and I honor you for letting your pastors go and rest and refresh themselves, uh, but I also know you miss them, so they'll be back in two weeks, and Pastor Jack, they're waiting for you. Hey, don't stay over there on the beach. I've been watching you on Instagram. You've got to come home eventually, um, but you're, they're doing great. They're doing great. Um, and so I am uh, pleased to be able to share the word with you today. Are you ready for the word? Are you sure? All right. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Uh, I like to stand for the reading of the word because it's a demonstration of the preeminence of God's word in our lives. We give uh, utmost respect when we stand for someone. Can I get a witness? And so we're giving the word of God respect this morning by standing. So thank you for joining me. I'm going to read Psalm 23. I'm going to read it over you. <laughs> Let the water of the word wash over you today. If you know it, you can recite it. But I'm going to read Psalm 23 uh, for you. And uh, David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Someone say, my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not ours, but for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare. Now, verse 5 is the key one for us, so listen good. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? 
forever. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for the amazing worship, the great technicians, those who are with our children, Lord, those who set up outside. Thank you for this amazing team, this amazing church. God, we come before you because we've come not to hear from a man, but to hear from the Spirit of God. So, Spirit, speak. Teach us like the children that we are. And help us, Lord, to be very open and very receptive to your word, Lord. Let us be different, Lord. When we leave here, that we would be closer to you, more intimate with you, more open to you, so that we can become more like you. And it's in Jesus' name that the Mosaic Life family says, Amen. Amen. You may be seated today. And the title of my message is, The Table Has Been Set For You. How many like tables? Come on, can I get a witness? Well, you know why, right? Because there's usually something on it, you know. Uh, I don't even mind a good coffee table, you know, if it's good coffee. Pan dulce, a little donut, a little diabetes. How many know what I'm talking about? A little something, right? I like tables. Uh, David here, the, well, the whole, psalm, whole of Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is like, is like, like the pearl of the Psalms. It's, it's, it's been recognized by Christendom, by Christians throughout the centuries. Uh, that is a, a whole psalm that, that millions of people have memorized. It is, uh, it's even respected by secularists, humanists, uh, as a literary uh, work of art. Um, you can find it in secular literature books, uh, textbooks, because of the beautiful poetry that it is. We know it's more than pretty words. That's what gives it power for the believer. But Psalm 23 is all about, are you with me? All about intimacy. It's all about being close to God. Ch check this out. David writes, he starts off, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. What's David saying? I'm a sheep. He's my shepherd, so therefore I'm a sheep, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to lack for anything. Why? Because he leads me. He leads me like a shepherd. I'm a sheep. He leads me to quiet waters. He leads me to green pastures. But he's not just any sheep, any shepherd. Are you, he's not, okay, he's not just any shepherd. He's the shepherd of all shepherds. He's the shepherd of heaven. So he restores my soul. You watch that. You follow that. We could spend months in just Psalm 23. But he restores my soul because he's not just feeding me physically. He's feeding me spiritually. This is how intimate, how close David recognizes God is for him. And how intimate and close God wants to be with us. Because how many know God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? So he hasn't changed. He still desires a close relationship with us. And so there towards the end of the psalm, David, David writes beautifully, powerfully, profoundly. He writes that God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God sets a table. God prepares a table. Uh, my parents used to visit here occasionally. My Pastor Lee and Marty, um, they were they've been in ministry and they uh, attended here occasionally. 
And uh, my mother is a good Mexican cook. How many, know, how many know a good Mexican cook? How many might be a good Mexican cook? All right. My mom's a good Mexican cook. For example, we don't eat tacos. We eat tacos. We don't have hot sauce. We have chile. Okay. We don't eat enchiladas. We eat enchiladas. She's, she, she's, you know, she, you know, a good, a good Mexican cook, you know what they make? They make the house hot because the stove is always on. Always on. And uh, I went to college at a school near, our, our, about an hour from home. So on the weekends, on the weekends, I would take uh, friends home with me to enjoy a good meal and church. And I became very popular I became very popular at school because I would take my friends to a good free meal. Can I get a witness? When you're in college, you're, you're, you're broke. You're so poor, you can't pay attention. That's how broke you are. And I would take my friends home and they'd be like, can I go to your house this weekend? Because they knew that my mom, they knew that my mom would cook. And so uh, I, one weekend I took my buddies and uh, one, I remember I took my friends and I took a new guy. His name was Dan. And Dan was with me for the first time with a couple of other, other guys. I said, Mom, I'm bringing some guys home with me to eat. Now, how do you know 19-year-old men can eat more than 40 regular people? I mean, they're bottomless, right? But she wasn't scared. She wasn't scared. She was ready. She said, bring them. Because my mom had one of those anointed pans that could make as many enchiladas as you wanted. God would bless the supply. And so I take my friends, I take Dan, and, 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 and she, we go in, the house is hot, and it smells good, and she says, wash your hands and sit down, I'm going to feed you. And so we sit there and we're eating. And she, she would just put enchiladas on your plate, whether you wanted them or not. She'd say, you're too skinny, you need more. More. Well, the guys are loving it, Dan is loving it, until it started to hurt. And then poor Dan, because it was his first rodeo at the Baca house, and he's like, oh, Mrs. Baca, I'm, I'm full, I'm full. She's going, you're too skinny, more enchiladas. Eat. She wanted them fluffy, right? And so she put, there, she kept putting them on there. She put three more on his plate. He'd already ate like eight. He put three more, and then he looked at me, like she walked away, and he looked at me with terror in his eyes. He's like, how do I make it Stop. I don't want any more enchiladas. Someone say the table. Say the table. The table is a special place. Growing up, I knew. My mom loved to serve people, especially poor, especially poor college students. She loved, she loved to feed people. And we would have itinerant preachers come, guest preachers come. And they would host the preacher. They would host the preacher. And, and, and I knew and my sister knew that we had to take care of the preacher. We were inviting someone, watch this, in our house to eat our food. This was special. David is describing God as the one who prepares the table for a special meal with us. A special meal. The table. God wants to have relationship with us. And I'm going to give you four, four points. I won't be long. I'll give you four points. The first one is this. The first one is this. Is that he desires a genuine relationship with you. 
and a genuine relationship, are you with me? It includes what? Conflict and questions. Conflict and questions. You can't have a real relationship without getting into an argument sometime. Anyone married? Don't be acting all like it's perfect. Sometimes I do premarital counseling. And the couple's all getting ready to get married. And they're picking the colors and the food and the venue. And they're all starry-eyed and romantic. And I'll say, okay, before we get to the wedding, i got to give you some counsel. And I'll ask them, how often do you argue? And you know what usually they say? Because they, they, they think I want to hear this. They, they tell the pastor, we never argue. We're perfect for each other. We love each other. We never argue. You know what I tell them? I tell them this. Either you're lying to your pastor, and if you lie to your pastor, you go. Oh, just kidding. Or, or you don't argue, and that means one of you is holding back, and the other one's running over you. Which one is it? You're lying to me, or is someone running over somebody? Because you can't put two people in the same car for, for less than 11 minutes and not have an argument. And real relationship includes conflict and questions. And that, okay, are you still with me? And this includes your relationship with God. God does not want you to pretend you believe everything and you understand everything and you're at peace with everything. Because I've walked with God since I was... 12 years old, and there have been plenty of times I'm not okay with everything. There have been plenty of times I'm struggling with his will. There are times I've struggled with his word. He's okay with our conflict and our questions. He just wants devotion to him. Go ahead, praise him. Praise him. He wants devotion with us. He wants open relationship. How, the relationship that God desires with us is so important that when he gave Moses instructions for the tabernacle, he said, first build an ark, a box. Make it like this and that. Put the, the, the Ten Commandments in it, and it's going to go before us when we travel. It's going to be a, a sign of my presence. But the second thing he had him build was a table. He said, make a table for me, made of acacia wood. Inlay it with gold. Make it these dimensions. And on this table, he says, you're going to put the bread of my presence. The bread of the presence. This is Exodus 25, 30. He says, put the bread of the presence, and in my Bible, the word presence is capitalized. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me, how long or how often? At all times. This, from the very beginning, God wanted to have relationship with us. So he said, you're going to make a table, and you're going to put the bread of my presence on it, on it because I want to have an open, a continuous open door to have relationship with you. God doesn't want you just to dance to his tune. He wants to walk with you. 
He doesn't want you to just be afraid, oh, I better obey him or he'll strike me with lightning. He wants you to love him and he wants to love you. He wants to have conversation with you. He wants you to be real with him. If the Bible was, see, the Bible is filled with people, men and women, who blew it big time, yet they love the Lord. They, they, they were God's servants, and they could be inconsistent at times. Some of them failed greatly. The writer of Psalm 23, David, was an adulterer and a murderer. And yet, he's described as a man after God's own heart. Why? Because we fail. But God is good. God is loving. God is merciful. God is forgiving. It's so important to recognize this. There's this, someone say, God gets me. There's this, there's this great story. Can I just tell you, the Bible is full of all these stories, which tells you it's a genuine, authentic word of the Lord. The Bible is not a propaganda tool. If the Bible was meant to brainwash people, every, all of God's heroes would be perfect. Moses would have never failed. Abraham would have, would have never failed. David would have never failed. The Bible gives us transparent, the real deal, the real thing about people being imperfect and, and, and at times distracted and really, really blowing it. And, and, and yet God is faithful to us. In Mark chapter 9, there's a, a beautiful account of a man who brought his son who was demon-possessed to Jesus. And he wants Jesus to deliver him. And he brings this boy, this heartbroken father, desperate, brings his son to someone he hears is a miracle worker. And so he brings his son to the Lord. He says, he says Lord, my son has a spirit. And it causes him to fall into the fire to burn him. Or, and, and when that doesn't work to kill my son, it will throw him into the water to drown him. Will you please, please deliver my son? And the Lord responds to him, watch this, all things are possible for those who believe. Okay, you ready? You ready? This is how, this is how the father responds. He says, Lord, I believe, read the last part with me, help my what? Unbelief. That would have been a drop mic or a mic drop, however you're supposed to say it when you're cool. love that. The Bible is not a propaganda tool. The Bible isn't hedge the story. The Bible isn't some kind of a um, uh, fiction to make everybody look good. This is you and this is me. Lord, watch this. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, I believe and I, sometimes I don't believe. Help me. You know what Jesus does? Well, let me tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't send that father to faith school to learn how to really believe and come back. He doesn't say, oh, you better go pray for four more hours and then you come back so you can believe enough. Mm -mm. He heals his son right then and there. You know why? It's never been how much you believe. It's always been in whom you believe. Remember, it says, uh, Jesus says, if you have the faith the size of a what? Mustard seed, what? Mountains will move. 
The point is that of, that, of that teaching isn't, oh, you got to have enough faith. It's that you just got to have something. It's not how much. The point of that isn't how much you believe. It's who you believe in. Because your faith ain't moving no mountain. It's the God that you believe in that's moving the mountains. So, so go back to that, please. Go back to that. Uh, uh, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's enough faith. That's enough. He showed up to Jesus. See, you showing up here. You're online. That's enough faith. Enough faith. God calls us to an, a real relationship with him. Genuine with your faith and with your doubts. He just says, stay close to me. You don't like what I'm doing? Okay. You got to complain a little bit? Okay. Just stay with me. So many of the Psalms don't sound like this. Many of them are, God, what are you doing to me? God, why are my enemies winning? Lord, I want to die. There's some that are angry. Lord, off with their heads. Kill, destroy my enemies. The Psalms are a real, real people with real emotions, but going to a real God who is bigger. God wants, he sets a table because he wants genuine relationship with you. The second thing is that God, God desires to prepare a table before us when our, where our enemies can see it. Oftentimes, God sets a table where our enemies can see it. And he does this so we can learn to trust him. Now this is really important for someone who might be new in the Lord. Or some, maybe someone's going through a difficult season. Because the tendency of our flesh is to trust God so long as he's doing what we want. And to only be at peace. Someone say peace. To only be at peace when we're seeing our problems solved. Oh, we'll pray and we'll worship. We'll come to church. But we're so all tied up in knots until we see him do what we're hoping he does. David is moving past that here. He says, God is moving me past that. God is moving me past that. He says, God's preparing a table before me. And I still have a bunch of enemies. And they're close. You know you're growing spiritually. When you can worship. Read your Bible. Go to your Bible study groups. Show up on Sunday. And your prayers haven't been answered yet. You're growing when you obey his word. Even though you're still hurting. You know you're growing when although you're still surrounded, you can worship him and love him. That's what this is about. Preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. In the Hebrew, there's two different terms used. One that when it says you prepare a table before me, the term in the Hebrew is one of companionship or intimacy. But then when he says in the presence of, so before me, 
it's close and intimate. And before the enemy, it's adversarial. I love the Lord. Because he's got attitude. He wants you to have an attitude too. He says, he said, you're going to eat with me even though they're right there. Come eat with me. He doesn't want to say, oh, Lord, wait, can you first make the enemy go away? He, he says, come eat with me in spite of the enemy. Come and enjoy. See, when you're all tied up in knots, you can't eat. When you're worried, it's hard to eat. When you're anxious, it's hard to eat. But when you're confident, you eat too much. Can I get a witness? The food don't even have to be good. You're like, I look good. I look good. It's okay. Right? Because you're confident. God wants you to be confident in spite of your circumstances. That's what David's saying. You prepare a table before me in spite of the enemy. I'm going to fellowship with you, Lord. I'm, I'm going to fellowship with believers. I'm not giving up just because it's still really hard. I'm going to learn the secret of intimacy with God in the middle of the storm, middle of the problems. God desires to prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Uh, uh, one last note on this. Are you still okay? It's almost lunch. It's lunchtime. I'm talking about the table and the enchiladas, and you're over here. Hurry up! You know what's so cool? I was, uh, I was, I was reading up on this passage and kind of got into different resources. And I read a, a, an article written by a Jew. And he was talking about food and the Jewish culture. And if you look at old, the Old Testament, there are lots of feasts, a lot of food parties that are sacred. There's sacred meals in the Old Testament. There are still sacred meals in the Jewish culture. And he wrote that there's a, a, a euphemism. There's a saying that they have. And it's, it goes like this. It's, it goes like this, just like this. It says, they, tr they tried to get us. God saved us. Let's eat. That might be somebody's next tattoo. They tried to get us. God saved us, let's eat. That's the peace we need to have. How many know what I'm talking about? You're at the office, they try to get me. God saved me, I'm going to lunch. I'm going to lunch, Red Robin, let's go. I'm going to get me a, 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 a good burger at Red Robin with a, with a tower of, of uh, onion rings and that campfire sauce. Mm. You know Red Robin. Yum, thank you, all right. How, that's the, that, that is, that, their faith is, is, has a, a connection with food because of God's provision and because of God, God's peace to eat it. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He also desires us to recognize that the table is one of trusting intimacy. Trusting intimacy. Someone say, he wants to be close. He wants to be close. I'm going I'm to move quickly because we're going to run out of time. But, but let, let, me just, let me just say this. Uh, God 
Christianity is different from every other religion. If someone ever says flippantly, oh, Christianity is just like all the other religions, they're all the same, all paths lead to God, tell them no. No, that's not true. Tell them, you can believe that Christianity is not true if you want, but you can't believe it's the same as all the other religions. Because the reality is that all other major world religions, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all of the world, major world religions are about man trying to get good enough to get close to God. Hinduism is you better be good so the next life you're better, the next life you're better, the next life you're better, and then finally you're assumed into God himself. All of the world, major world religions are about us trying to be good enough to get close to God or even become God, not Christianity. Christianity says there's no way you can get close to God. So God's coming close to you. Completely different. Don't let someone give you that noise at work. Correct them. Tell them you don't have to believe Christianity is true, but you can't honestly believe it's the same as everything else. It is not. In the most fundamental way. God says, you're sinful. I love you. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to help you. I'm coming to be on the cross for you. So that all you have to do is believe. How much? Belief. This much belief. The belief the size of a mustard seed. That's how much I love you. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. He wants to be close. Forever he wants to be close. The, the, there's a great story, a, a beautiful story in John 4, the woman at the well. I know you know the story, and, 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 and it's, it's amazing, right? And Jesus, if you know it, Jesus is out there, and the disciples go to get some food, and he says, I'll wait here. I'll wait, wait here by the well. He wants to wait there because he's got a divine appointment with a lady. He's like, I know she's coming. She's coming at the heat of the day because she has a history. Everybody knows her business. She doesn't want to deal with it. So she's going to come out when it's hot. And so Jesus timed it so that he would be there when she comes out so he could talk to her. And if you read it, it's amazing. She's thrown up all kinds of roadblocks, ethnic roadblocks, religious roadblocks, uh, social roadblocks, cultural roadblocks, and he's just like, like, a, like, a, like a ninja, defending them until finally she believes. And she goes and she tells her village and they all believe. But you know, it starts, you know how it starts? It starts with this. She comes and Jesus says, will you give me a drink? She says to him, but you have nothing to draw with. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, I mean, immediately he's like this close to her. Let me drink from your cup. Now, I have had four kids. I have four kids, I guess. I have four kids. Some are bigger. I have four kids. And I would die for them. I mean, I would give them my kidney. I would jump in front of a moving truck. I would get in front of a bullet but I will not drink after them. <laughs> and I'm sorry. It's just my thing. Because you don't know what is going to be in the cup after they done drunk it. How many know what I'm talking about? You'll find Cheerios in there. You'll find stuff in there they ate yesterday. Can I get a witness? Yeah. I ain't drinking after that. I'll die, but I ain't drinking after that. No way. 
Jesus says, let me drink from your cup. This is how desperately he wants her to let him in. He is willing to put his mouth where she's put hers. Knowing her story. Knowing her story. That's how much God wants to be close to us. I'll finish with this. God desires, he, he sets a table of trusting intimacy. And I, I want you to be convinced of this very important thing. Very important. That the table that God sets for you has everything. Someone say everything. Everything you'll ever need in this life or the life to come. This table. What God offers you is everything you'd ever need. If you want something that isn't on his table, you shouldn't have it. You ain't God. The reality is this. As we grow in the Lord, we need to develop a, 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 an appetite for his things instead of the appetite for the world. In my church, we, we hosted a funeral of a, a precious lady, um, decades in the faith. It was more party than funeral. Because she lived a beautiful life, a full life, and we knew she was with the Lord. There was singing and, and, and speeches and testimonies. It was awesome. We held a reception for the family, a big family, uh, after. And I was, um, I, I was there with my staff. We were serving. Some volunteers were serving. And, and I was so proud of our church because they'd, they'd set a beautiful table, man. There was, there was like fried chicken. Save Mart fried chicken. You have Save Mart up here? You have Save Mart? It's good chicken. That's some good chicken. Save Mart chicken is good. Save Mart chicken. We had pasta. We had enchiladas that were in there. Desserts and salads. It was a spread. And I was like, this is good. I love my church. And, and towards the end, this great little, this, uh, one of the great granddaughters runs up to us. She's like six or seven years old. And she comes up to me and, and, and uh, one of our staff members. And she says, excuse me. Did you put on the party? I said, well, we helped. And then she said, the food? And I said, yeah, we, we helped with the food. And she says like this. She was like six. She goes, it was so good. I'm like, man, I get judged here by a six-year-old. I'm glad. I said, I'm so glad you were happy. I'm glad you enjoyed it. She said, you know what my favorite was? I said, tell me. She says, the croutons. The croutons. She's like six. I'm like, okay. Did you even try the chicken? It's from Save Mart. It's good. Try that. The croutons. And I'm like, it stuck with me. I laughed. I said, oh, I'm just glad you had a good time. And then she ran off, right? And, and I'm thinking, you know that, that she's like six. So if her favorite was the croutons, cool. But if she's 26 and her favorite's the croutons, how many know she needs help? She, she, she's eating the wrong places if the favorites, the croutons. Can I tell you that, that we have got to recognize, please hear my heart, we have to recognize everything God offers. Don't settle for the croutons. He offers us peace that passes understanding. He offers you the confidence you are the head now, not the tail. 
He offers you the power. Greater is he that is in me than anything that's in the world. Are we eating of the rich fare? Or have we settled for crumbs? The table, he sets has everything you'd ever want. Can I tell you one more story? Okay, good. I got not, uh, six minutes. Ready? I'm not good with math, so let's just say that. About four years ago, my, my, uh, my wife and I decided to do something. It's kind of a big decision. And uh, we decided to buy a home with her parents and live together. They're in their 80s, and they had retired up in a, a little community called Browns Valley, which is out by Collins Lake up near Marysville. And they had a beautiful home there. They'd retired up there, lived there about 20 years. Beautiful home that overlooked, uh, like they could see Yuba City and Marysville. It was up on a hill. And um, they'd lived there for 20 years. beautiful. But in their 80s, um, and being there, it was five acres. That's a lot of work. And it would take an ambulance about 20 minutes to get to them because the last, like, quarter mile was a dirt road. And we said, we said hey, Mom, Dad, you, you can't. It's time to come to, like, civilization. Come, come. You're, you're getting a little older, you know. Uh, let's, let, let's get you. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's do life together. And they agreed. So four years ago, we moved in together. And I was ready to receive my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. But I was not ready to receive 53 years of marriage worth of stuff that came with them. I mean, good stuff and not so good stuff. They had all kinds of stuff. And the reason being, I mean, most people who've been together 50 plus years are going to have a lot of stuff. But it was even more so because their, their parents, both of them, both of their parents came from Oklahoma during the Dust Bowl. If you've ever read a John Steinbeck novel, they migrated out during the era of the Dust Bowl and they worked the fields and the farms here in the Central Valley. So they didn't have hardly anything, so they kept everything, which is how it was. They had parts to things they didn't own anymore. They had what I would call antiques, they bought new. There was stuff in packages dated 1981, but it was there. They had so much stuff. Uh, one whole bay of our garage full of stuff and a shop about 10 by 10 full of stuff. So. Being the angel of mercy that I am. No, just kidding. I waited four years, and finally I said, babe, we got to do something. They're going to call hoarders and video this place. we got to do something. So we talked my mother and father-in-law into going on a trip. Go on a trip. Go for three days. While you're gone, we're going to clean up. So they went on a trip. We began to clean up. And we, I, we said, hey, we're only going to clean up the shop. We're not going to tackle this other thing. But we'll, we're going to take care of the shop. And so we, when they left, we got some friends. We're, we're doing a dump run. And we're, we're finding all kinds, all kinds of stuff. And, and, and in the middle of it, my wife was in a box. And she says, hey, hey, Eric, uh, look at these keys. And she tosses me these keys. And I'm looking at them. And I, I'm looking at some keys. And then and I see there's some pretty cool keys on here. Like, this looks old. I'm like, where's the pirate treasure chest? Because this looks like it might go somewhere good, you know? And she said, no, no, no. Look at the tag. And so I, I, I pull out the tag. I, I say, oh, there's a tag. And I, 
I look at it and it's faded because it's been on this key ring for probably 30 years. And I, or longer, maybe 40 years, I look at it and I, and it, I read it, I said, it says, none of these work. Someone better call hoarders. None of these work. None of these work. I'm thinking, none of these work, they said. Let's keep them. Let's organize them. Let's tag them just in case we ever need a key that doesn't work. We got it. Like, why are you keeping these? This is crazy. Oh, my gosh. Can can, can I tell you that in life, we can keep keys that don't work. Keys that don't belong on the table. Some of us are saved, but we're using keys from the world to open new doors. It don't going to work. God can bring you to a door and you're, you're taking an old key. You're taking an old attitude. You're taking an old grudge. You're trying to open that door. Old keys don't work. God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need help from any old keys. Everything you need, he provides. He sets it on the table. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He says, come and eat so you can be well. Come and eat so you can finally forgive the brother. Come and eat so you can sleep good tonight. Come and eat so you can keep your head up. I have everything that you'll ever need in this life and the life to come, the life that matters most. Give him praise. Give him praise this afternoon. Would you stand with me, family? Can we just stand? Can I just pray over you? God, thank you. Thank you that you get us. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. God, thank you that you want to be close. You're sitting at the well waiting for us to pass by. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you that you prepare a table for us to enjoy even before our enemies are scattered. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us that capacity. And thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you've always wanted this table. You had the table built from the very beginning of community with you, of covenant with you. And so, God, I thank you that you invite us, you invite us even now to come and partake of the eternal things, the divine and supernatural things, the holy things, the pure things, the healing things you provide. God, I pray that we would procure a a new new taste buds, a new appetite for your things, not the things of the world. It's you that makes us well. So God, as we worship here for the next few minutes, I pray that we would meet with you in a way maybe we haven't met in a while. Maybe we can meet with you now with a a new sense that that, that though our enemies are here, you still invite us to to commune with you. God, maybe we'll come to your table right now with more faith, Lord, knowing that on the table is everything we need. We love you, God, for loving us. We're grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen.